Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's first um, Sunday morning gathering. Um, thankful and always excited to gather with God's people. Um, excited about in the next few weeks, me and a good group of men from Epiphany Fellowship are going to Houston, Texas. I'm really excited about that and excited about the opportunity that that is going to pose um, for our men as we uh, continue to uh, move forward in developing as godly men. Um, I'm looking around, I'm like, wow, wow, the weather has affected us just a little bit. We wanna, I was like, okay, this feel like the third gathering a little bit, right? But we want to um, just keep make sure that whoever's traveling today, because uh, that, that is dangerous with the weather having had been 10 degrees. And my, it's funny, the, the Weather Channel app says, feels like. So don't just tell you the temperature, tell you what it is. It feels like. It said, feels like negative nine. So it, it's a little bit cold. It's some cold ministry out. It's some cold ministry. We tried to shovel, and um, you just get to the point where it's just, you can't move nothing else. And so what he shoveled, that's his job now. So he'll be shoveling. Put some salt down and see if it could dissolve some of those issues there. But keep, I pray that everyone who's on their way to the other gatherings, that the Lord would grace them and keep them uh, safe, because I know that several of you walk, but others travel in, um, in ways that they would, of course, need um, a lot of prayer in traveling in this type of weather. My wife, I'm going to bring my wife up real quick, um, just real quick, and um, how you doing, baby? I'm good. You sure? <laughs> um, this is my wife. Y'all know that, right? All right, give God a hand praise for my wife. Mwah. So, um, she pregnant again. So y'all keep us lifted. Um, pastor done, he done, and wife done. We praise God for number four. Um, but um. Uh, we was like, we was, we was like, uh, we was like, what's the boy's name for Philly? The comedian, Kevin Hart. He's like, we wasn't ready. <laughs> uh, but, but we are so thankful. We go to the doctor. We thinking we gonna see a dot and a heartbeat. Um, well, the baby was, you know, doing the shake and moving around, and I was like, how, how many months is she? She's three months pregnant, due August twenty second. So, so three. So three of them, the, the, we just had him in October. Right. So they're going to be the same age for a few months. <laughs> so, you know, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. But we're excited because we didn't think we won't have any more children after Manny. And now we're on number four. So we thank the good Lord for his grace. Amen. 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 So we're really, really excited. Um, this is it because uh, we are entering the midlife. And so we're going to have fun with these four. Pray we have a girl, but pray more so that, that the baby's healthy. Amen. Fully, 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 fully healthy. But we are praying for a girl. I found out that y'all had prayer groups last time so we could have a girl. So y'all could start the groups back up again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. And uh, just make sure health is all up in there. And pray for our mental health that we be I, you know, as we raise a godly seed in Jesus' mighty name. So we're excited and thankful to the great Lord for his mercy for the grace of childbirth. Amen. Stand to your feet. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're almost done. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to do the rest of the chapter today. We got some ground to cover. 
um, we're almost finished the book. We'll be finished, interestingly enough, um, two sermons after this. So we have about two more sermons after this, and we'll be done with the book of 1 Corinthians, yet another book we've gone through. But we're going to start off at verse 29 and go all the way down to 58. There are large concepts we can package each one of these sections in that I think is very helpful to us. Let's, so let's, by God's grace, let's uh, start reading together. Let's go. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Keep going. Amen, amen. Yeah. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Amen. 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 Um, The subject that I'd like to carry through this text today is the assurance of the resurrected life. The assurance. Somebody say assurance. assurance. Assurance of the resurrected life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that we have a sure faith. Um, We we don't have a faith that is a, 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 a faith that is left field of heaven. But we have a faith that has been delivered down from you, God, uh, uh, once and for all through Jesus Christ. And, 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 and it should motivate us to, to walk with you. It should motivate us to live for you. And so, God, I pray today in the mighty name of Christ that you would let um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust and You know how we pray, God. We want to not just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers of your word so that we won't walk under deception. God, we need you today. Help your spirit to penetrate our hearts and minds uh, so that we can be motivated by Jesus to live the life that Jesus has called us to live by the power of the spirit, informed by the word of God, and fueled by eternity. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. One of the things, if you watch um, particularly any team sport, um, when, when they have a team that uh, has a star player on it who is sort of the go-to person, um, it's, it's clear that a person that's a star on the team changes the culture of the team. Um, a star player on the team changes the culture of the team because people can depend on that person in clutch times. And as a matter of fact, they not only depend on that person in clutch times, but they can depend on that person at all times because the presence of a star player on the team uh, shouldn't make the team lazy. But, 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 the, but the presence of a star uh, player on the team uh, should make the team work even harder than they could ever work before. I can remember the, the golden years of the Chicago Bulls and the presence of Michael Jordan on the team change the culture of the team. I mean, you saw players that if they were on another squad with a whole nother team of people, they didn't have the confidence and commitment and even competency of their execution that they had just by virtue of being on the, 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 the field with a star player that made the team better. And, and, and the presence of a star player should make, I mean, you, many of you may not even know who Paxson is. But if, anybody, but if you go back to those years, a few people know who pa- Paxson was a short, uh, a cool white man that could hit a jumper from anywhere on the court. Yes, sir. And Michael Jordan put confidence in him and said, I'm not going to take the shots at the end of this game. I'm going to just hit it out to Paxson. Paxson would grab the ball, squat, squat, squat. It was just like, what? It's like somebody check this guy, right? I mean, and, and, it, and, it, was, and it was amazing that, that, that you never heard of Paxson before that. 
and you never heard of Paxton after that. But it was because of him being the presence of a star that it changed his disposition on the team. And just like us in Christ, we are on the team of a star. We're on the team of a player that is eternally able to boost the confidence of his teammates. Jesus is such a phenomenal star player on the team that by virtue of being on the team with him and in the game with him, he boosts your confidence and give you the willingness to do things that you would never do if you were doing it on your own. As a matter of fact, before him, nobody heard of you, but right now, Christ is going to do some things that shows off his glory in and through our lives, and the resurrected life is the means by which God through Jesus Christ, helps us to live this life in a very, very powerful way. See, most Christians live their life defeated. And and living in defeat is whenever you have faith in what you can do by yourself. But when you recognize that there's somebody on the squad that brought you on the squad, that drafted you on the squad, that gives you the ability to live life above the now, not outside of now, but above the now in your mindset, your execution becomes extremely uh, uh, different. As a matter of fact, the enemy's job in your life is to help you to act like the victory hasn't already been won. The, the, the enemy's desire for the believer's life is to make the believer think that they're fighting for a victory versus from a victory. See, when you, if you have a different disposition as a person fighting from victory, then, you're, then, then, then all of this is formality even though it's a real game. It, it's, 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 it's almost like the, the, the score is 80 to nothing. And, and we're at the, we're, the, the clock is down. It's like two minutes. You know, players just on the side, you know how players do at the end of the game. They just be laughing with each other like the game is over. But, but as Christians, even though the game is already won, we take the game seriously all the way up to the buzzer. And so we come to a text where Paul is talking to them about the seriousness of being faithful in the game of life all the way up to the buzzer, the return of Jesus Christ. And one day when the buzzer sounds, the Bible says the trumpet is going to sound. That's the buzzer. The game is over. There'll be no more trust in Jesus Christ the Savior. There will be no more gospel presentations. There will be no more churches. There will only be one church. There won't be no kings all over the place. There will be one king. There won't be lords all over the place. There'll be one Lord. There'll be one a city that dispenses the glory of Christ throughout all of the universe. But here in this passage... Paul has to assure Christians of what we all need assurance of, the resurrected life. And so I have three things that we have in this text, I believe, that we can extract. There's much more there, but we have to narrow it down to three things. Number one, if you're going to walk in the assurance of a resurrected life, number one, you must recognize that the resurrected life motivates us to die to self. The resurrected life motivates, somebody say motivates, Motivates us to die to self. Look, 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 at, look at verse 29. He says, otherwise, <coughs> what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Just a quick note with this. This was a practice that the Corinthians, do. under the Catholic Church, continues to do this, but this wasn't something that Paul was instituting. He was just saying some of them on behalf of their brothers who had passed, whether through martyrdom or any other way, they would just by formality be baptized on their behalf, not meaning that they get saved out of a purgatory because of them being baptized on their behalf. But he's pointing to the fact that if you don't believe in the resurrection, why why are y'all even getting baptized? 
Because the resurrection points to the fact that, 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 that you were once dead, you were buried, and you were raised from the dead with Christ. So why in the world would you do a baptism that signals that there is a resurrection coming if you don't believe in a resurrection? Because the Corinthians were wrestling through whether or not there was a physical bodily resurrection of the people of God. But what Paul wants to do is, is he says, you, he's going to tell them the implications of not believing in the power of the resurrection. He says, and, then, and Paul just, you can tell Paul has a little chip on his shoulder right now. Now, now the chip he's about to have on his shoulder is going to be funny. Check out what he says in verse 30. He says, why are we in danger every hour? You know what I'm saying? Now, 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 I know many of us can't relate to that, but Paul said, I'm always going through something. You know, he, he, said, he, said, he said, I'm always going through something. He said, everywhere I go to preach the gospel, gospel <coughs> people putting contracts out on my life. Okay? He says, he, says, he says, but let me just put something to you, brothers. He said, I protest, brothers by my pride in you. He says, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. Then this idea of pride is not what you think it is. <coughs> it's, not, it's not a sinful pride that we tend to think of in our own lives. Um, it it, it kind of carries the connotation, the idea of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, where he says, I'm zealous or jealous for you with a godly jealousy. In, 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 in other words, I am pa- in leading you to Christ, I am passionate about seeing you honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's beginning to talk about the investment here that he's made in them. In this investment, it is the act of him displaying and proclaiming his satisfaction and contentment with God's achievements in the life of the Corinthian believers. He's saying even in the midst of them living a dead life, God has done some resurrection things in them that even in the midst of their mess, even in the midst of them being messed up, there are still evidences of God's grace on their life in the midst of their broken circumstances, which interestingly enough, many of us don't recognize is we base our value in life based on the evidences of mess versus the evidences of grace. Even in the midst of you being where you are and far off practically from where God wants you to be, the fact that God shows evidences of grace, that he still loves you and that he's still committed to you, those evidences of grace are really God giving you hugs and kisses and like snackages and allowances to say, yo, I want you to live the life that I want you to live because I'm empowering you to live that life. And so Paul is frustrated that they're not eating and feasting on the life that God wants to give them. He says, so I got pride in God's investment in you. There's, a, there's an authentic, there's a real, and there's a true investment that's been made in you. Why in the world would you have all that investment made into you and you not live in light of the investment that's been placed in you? It's nothing worse than, I remember, um, in, um, I grew up in D.C., and I remember um, um, uh, University of Maryland had a player called Lim Bias. Lim Bias, I'm just, they, they were, I mean, when Lim Bias was about to come on the scene, I mean, Lim Bias was a beast of a player. And I can remember when he died and how it impacted so many people. <clears throat> and one of the huge reasons why it impacted so many people was because there was such a deep investment made in him to go to school, and there was a deep investment of all the things that had been built up over, year, over the years for him to play ball, and then for him to die like he died, it was almost like the investment was not. And, and that's what it can be like for a Christian that lives in this life and don't maximize the grace that God has given them. 
Uh, it, it's like a person that's had all of these different investments made into them and then to not uh, 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 produce for the glory of God when he is having you fight from victory, not for victory, is, is for not. And so Paul is challenging them to that. And Paul says, this is the way I live out in light of that investment. He says, I die daily. He, now, that, that, that seems weird because in our culture, you're supposed to floss daily. And I'm not talking about dental floss. You, you're supposed to blow up your eyes, your personality, to, 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 to carry a personal selfie with you of the picture you want people to see everywhere you go. In, 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 other words, in other words, you're supposed to show a confidence in self that makes people get on the same page of where you don't really believe you are. You just want to put the persona of people believing that you're somewhere where you're actually not, which we call that confidence. <laughs> we call confidence in duping people that we're more than we actually are. The Bible calls confidence dying daily. Wow. That, that means Paul, Paul said, Paul says, I get up. I get up eulogizing myself every day. And, and, and in other words, I write my, my funeral program every day because I don't want to be seen any day that I go out. In other words, he's reflecting the principle where Jesus talks about um, taking up your cross daily. <laughs> and then taking up your cross daily means you're crucifying someone in your life. Now, he's not talking about crucifying somebody else because many of us is good at crucifying other people. <laughs> when it's time to crucify somebody else, we're going to post it on every form of social media to crucify them. But what if, what if we just crucified ourselves? And so, and, so, and so the Bible talks about Paul. Paul says, my disposition towards a resurrected life, and this is powerful about what he believes about the resurrected life, is he's not worshiping crucifixion of himself. In, in other words, when you crucify yourself to live a resurrected life, you recognize that the crucifixion of yourself isn't the end of the story. Yes. Because self-crucifixion of you calling yourself into submission under the Lord Jesus Christ, um, what begins to happen is, is you can expect by faith that God is going to resurrect the very area that you're crucifying. Yes. Oh, y'all not going to, y'all looking at me funny. <laughs> see, 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 many of us, y'all looking at me funny because you don't think you got nothing to crucify. See, see, if you don't believe you got nothing to crucify, then, then, you, then you're going to sit up here looking like a deer in the headlights. But I know in my life personally <laughs> that, 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 that I have so much to crucify that I just might as well climb up on my little cross and get to God crucifying it. Because every, listen to you, that's the hope. Everything in your life. See, you may, see, the reason why it, it's crucified because you like it. And crucifixion is always painful. There is no anesthesia for crucifixion. <laughs> God doesn't pass out Novocaine and, 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 and different things to numb the pain of a crucifixion. Because you need to feel how the nerves of your soul are attached to some things in your life. And when you, and when you put the nail through that particular thing, you're going to hurt. And it's going to be very very, 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 very painful, but you've been graced with the ability for the pain to have purpose. That's what I like about being a Christian. There is no purposeless pain in my life. Every, and, and, and the self-inflicted damage is, see, listen, what does is, what is, what is crucifying yourself look like? Saying no to you. Now, if, now, let me just tell you, that's painful. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, see, there's a there's a physical pain that you go through if I hit my. But you ever had a heart pain that 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 that, that you you if you ever ever I, I will never forget when I was in college, God showed me Yvette was my wife, and I was and I was dating uh, this other girl, and I can remember what I fleshly wanted out of that other girl. And I can remember when God was like, nah, that's not your wife. I was like, come on, God. I'm like, I mean, I'm just saying, you know. Um, she wasn't looking for me. I wasn't looking for And I can remember the day I told that young lady, I said, God showed me that we shouldn't be together. And when I said, I wasn't really saying, I wasn't really breaking up with her. I was breaking up myself. And the crucifixion of the pain of separation that I went through was very, 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 very painful. But the resurrection that I experienced with God raising her up in the place of what I crucified, I don't even think about shorty no more. Because, because, but, 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 you, but you, when you crucify yourself, you always got to think about the resurrection. Y'all think, y'all think, see, what did Jesus do? Jesus kept telling them, I must die, and then three days later, I'll be back. In, in other words, the, 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 the resurrection uh, within the midst of your crucifixion always gives you hope to the fact that what you're crucifying doesn't compare to what God is raising up. And see, if you don't get, if Christians, if we don't get that through our thick skull, that God has more for you than what you're crucifying. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you finally crucify what God has been calling you to crucify for a long time, and when he raises that thing up in a whole new way, you think, why in the world was I waiting so long to crucify this? If I'd have just crucified that long time ago, I'd have been walking in a resurrection days and days and days and years and years and years ago. But we have to crucify ourselves. <clears throat> and so as he walks us through this and Paul challenges them with this, he said, he says, listen, he said, if the dead ain't raised, he said, if a resurrection life ain't real, let's just wild out. Let's just, let's just join Nick Cannon's show, Wilding Out. Some of y'all know it went past y'all. My young folk know this. He says, let us eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, like the J-dubs believe you die and there's no, ex- there's no sentient existence past death because there is no spirit, there's only body. He says, he says but then he, he, takes it, he, he, he takes it a little home for him. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts or ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. He said, there's some people in your life that's bringing you into a grave-filled life. He, he, he knocks on the Corinthians door. He said, there's some people that you've let in your life that's not helping your life to be resurrected. That it's almost like it's out of place when he says bad company corrupts good morning. In other words, you have to be careful of who informs your spiritual life. If you're not careful of who, because, because you say, well, they're not a spiritual person, they're just a friend. Uh, uh-uh. When you allow yourself to be nurtured by fallen relationships, you are being nurtured by a buried life versus a resurrected life. You need people around you that tell you about how messed up you are and tell you what you need to crucify. 
See, most of us like people around us that are our cheerleaders all the time. But that's why the Bible says the word exhorts us, it rebukes us, and it encourages us. The word, see, people in your life, you got, you got to have some well-rounded relationships. You got to have some people that are your cheerleaders, but they are handing you a nail and a hammer. Now, you need some people in your life here. Just, you, need, you, need, you need some people to do you like that, and you just go like this. I know. Just, uh, just hold the nail right there. Clow. You know what I'm saying? So I can get that particular area of my life. <coughs> because that's what, we, that's, that's, that's what we need. We need people to tell us, you need to say no to that. You need to say yes to God in this area of your life. Amen. Why are you running from God in this particular place? You need some people in your life that's going to encourage you to walk in a cruciformed life. Yes. And those relationships frustrate you on the front end. Because you don't like to hear what they got to say. That's why Paul says, good company corrupts good morning. You don't need people in your life that are yes people. They're just, that, that are just like an entourage for, for a hip-hop artist who say, as long as the, the money's coming and the drinks are pouring, I'll say yes to whatever you want me to. But the Christian life don't work like that. The Christian life works like, I don't care what you give me uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain, and I'm going to call you to those principles so that you can fellowship with his resurrection and his sufferings. See, most of us like resurrection, but you can't have a resurrection without some sufferings. You can't have some ups without some downs. You, you can't come out the grave until you've been put on a cross. But we live in a triumphalistic society that wants the blessings of a Grammy and Oscar atmosphere without the griminess of some brokenness among the brick jungles of our life. And so, and so, and so as, we, <coughs> as we develop a more robust understanding of the gospel, we see these beautiful things in this text that Paul <laughs> is helping us with. Number two, number two. He says, <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus prepares us to enjoy a blissful eternity. The, the, these, these verses, don't let them fool you. These are powerful verses from verses 35 to 49. So, 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 so it said the resurrection of Jesus prepares us. Somebody say prepares us <laughs> to enjoy a blissful eternity. He says, he said, but someone would ask, this means he got, see, Paul had some informants. Paul was like a detective. And he had ecclesiological informants within the local churches to snitch on how the church was doing spiritually. He had some snitches. And so he said, now, Paul said, I ain't going to say no names. But he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? He said, I'm glad you asked. With what kind of body do they come? So they're basically wondering, so Paul, if there is a resurrection, Prove to me that there's one. That's a dangerous place to be in as a Christian. You got saved through believing in a resurrection, and you're being resurrected daily by Christ through brokenness and through it. But now you have to be proven that there's a resurrection. Look what Paul says. He called you foolish person. It's crazy. He called him foolish. It's crazy. But this stuff's in the Bible, man. Y'all think, man, man, reality TV ain't got nothing on the Bible, man. It got all kinds of stuff in here, man. Look. He says, he says, what you sow does not come unless it dies. He says, he says, <coughs> he says, and what you sow is not the body that is to be. <laughs> he says, so you don't sow something in its beautiful state. You sow it in its broken state. He says, but a barren kernel, <coughs> perhaps of wheat, or of some other grain, he says, but God gives it a body as he chooses, and to each 
kind of seed its own body. So he's using a beautiful argument. He's using agriculture as an illustration because Romans chapter 1 says something powerful. It says, Romans chapter 1 says, all creation points to the glory of God. So he's using seed time, harvest time of an ugly kernel being put in the ground as a picture of it ultimately pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now he says, but every type of seed has its own look to it. The reason why it has its own look to it is because its resurrection is going to always look different between each seed because everything that God raises up doesn't get raised up looking the same way. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. In, 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 in other words, whatever God puts in the ground in this particular way, he's given it the body it has because he has purpose for the way it's going to be raised up. And so every seed that goes in the ground has to go in the ground, but they look different, but they all have to go in the ground. Now, 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 now keep tracking with me because this, this is good stuff right here, right? <laughs> verse, verse 39, he says, for not all flesh <clears throat> is the same. There it is. He says, but there is one kind for humans, others for animals, others for birds, and others for fish. This is dope. Now, what is he saying? Let, let me read a little further before I swear. I'm getting too excited. Verse 40. He said, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. He says, but of, he says, but the glory, he said, but the glory, look, look at it. He says, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is only, there's, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, this is crazy, and another of the stars, and the star differs from star in glory. This is dope. So God, he's basically saying that the seed on everything in creation is representative of how God made it uniquely. In him making it uniquely, every single thing in, created, in creation is fit for the habitat that it was created for. Okay, so he says, in other words, animals, you know, I mean, we can't bring no lion in North Philly. Let, let us uh, pride of lions go down Diamond Street. I mean, now, I don't know if that will work around here. I mean, everybody would be having 12 gauges and all animal. I mean, it, it's just not the place for them. <coughs> in, in other words, the jungle's for them. Oh, okay, okay. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, um, some birds, birds who fly, like, like eagles, ain't hanging in Philly. They want to be in the mountains, high altitudes. You know what I'm saying? Only thing we got that's at a high altitude are skyscrapers. They ain't living up on top of those. Everything has its own habitat. Fish in the water. Even the mammal fish, if you will. They all live in that habitat, and God made their body to complement the habitat that he's put them in. Yeah, <laughs> he's saying with humans. Our physical bodies were made for the habitat of the earth, the land, the way God created us to be. What does this have to do with the resurrection? What is the moon? What is the star? The moon is set for its habitat to reflect the sun's light. The sun is in its own habitat out in space. We can't be out in space because we'll freeze immediately and suffocate. Our bodies were not made for that sphere. He says, Paul's point is, if God can make so many different things for its own habitat then why can't God make an eternal body for an eternal habitat? 
In other words, what's eternal habitat going to look like? Our eternal habitat is going to be God's glory everywhere. But the Bible says no one can see God and live. So in order to see God, he says, blessed are those who are me, for they shall what? See God. So in order to see God, he has to give you spiritual optics that are physically spiritual to be able to stare into unapproachable light. And your body has to be able to be made, specially made by God, to be able to withstand the habitat of his glory. Oh, y'all, see, see, if I was in a Pentecostal church, they'd have ran out the building right now. But I'm just trying to tell you right now, listen, listen, listen. You are made brand spanking new for an eternal habitat. <laughs> if that's true, why not live with the spirit that God has given you that's made for another habitat to withstand the work of this habitat's work on your body to override what God has for you in the resurrection. It's powerful. And so what does that do that motivates us? <laughs> that motivates us to live in a different way. That motivates us that we're not made for this habitat. That's why there's an issue with your body and your spirit. That's why you be groaning all the time. That's why you be frustrated all the time. Because your spirit is like, when I'm going to get my new body? Well, can, I have, can I have my new body? As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans 8 that creation is sick of the world. It said we weren't even created like this. We, before we was, it's trees that still in existence from when Adam was here. He said, I remember what it was like before all this mess happened. Just burn me up, Lord, and remake me anew. Because the Bible says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And everything has to be remade for that habitat. Last but not least, I got to get out your way. Last verse, last point. The resurrection assures us of total victory now. <laughs> we, we got assurance. We got assurance, right? Look at what he says. He says, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood <coughs> cannot enter the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I'm going to give you this for free. When Jesus came back, from the dead, in Luke 24, 39, he says he has flesh and bones, not flesh and blood. <laughs> so, he did, so, so the Bible says that flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven, but flesh and bones can. So guess what? Jesus doesn't have any blood in his body because he poured it all out. But when we, but when we get our new bodies, I wonder where his blood going to be. I'll just give you that for free. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder where his blood going to be. I, 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 that's why the blood, the blood, listen, for us to survive in eternity's habitat, Christ's blood has to breathe in us. Why? Because the Bible says life is in the So Jesus, Jesus is powerfully helping us to just see the glory of a resurrected life. He's like trying to motivate you like this is where your life is going. Look at what he says. He says, behold, I told you a mystery. He said, I just dropped something on you. That's what Paul just said. Paul said, I just dropped something on you. See, Paul had a little bit of swiggyology under the Holy Ghost. Look at the last part of verse 51. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we will be changed. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there it is, the buzzer's going to go off. And it says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise, will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed, for the perishable body must, must put on imperishable, and mortality 
the mortal must put on immortality. What's interesting, it's another one for free. Revelation 19 and Revelation 20, I was reading it and I was dumbfounded by it. Because it says in one of, the, one of the sections of the verse, it says, when we return, God's going to open up the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire is going to be so hot. And it's interesting that in, the, in chapter 20, it says, over these, those people who came at the last trump, the second death has no power. That's, that's crazy. That means that even when the wrath of God is unleashed on creation, that it won't destroy us because the blood of Christ that's in us and on us protects us from the wrath of God because Christ already took on God's wrath and therefore so how in the world are we going to get a new heavens and a new earth the Bible says in 2nd Peter chapter 3 that everything will burn in intense heat what heat the lake of fire is going to be so hot that God's wrath is going to singe all of creation and we'll be standing there in the midst of God's wrath. As he throws the false prophet and Satan, the water will splash, the heat will splash creation. Create a new heaven and a new earth. Because God was angry at what creation had become and his wrath will consume everything. Except for us. Because it doesn't have any power over us. Because of the blood of Christ. But look, look at what he says. <coughs> look at what he says. <laughs> then, he, then he goes off. I like this part. He says, when the perishable put on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, he says, then shall come to pass the old saying out of Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So Jesus, dying on the cross, took death's power away from it. If, so, so, so in other words, when he says the sting of death is sin, De death, death, death is like a scorpion. Death is like a scorpion and, and the stinger is sin. And when it stings us, we automatically die. But for us as believers who have the anti-venom of Christ's blood within us, we'll get stung, we won't swell up, we won't die, and nothing won't happen to us because of what Christ has done for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, we no longer have to live under the wrath of God anymore. No longer have to live in light of that ever again. Let's look at what he says right here. Why does he say this? Then he then, then Paul, you could tell Paul stood up from the table and started shouting at this point. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And then, 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 he, then he goes into a deeper shout. Look, look at the shout that Paul goes into. I believe he is shouting while he's writing this. He says, therefore, he said, in light of everything I just said, he says, he says, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor isn't in vain. So what is he telling us to do? Live a resurrected life. In other words, he says, you can be steadfast and immovable in a movable society that wants to make your soul portable. He said, he said you can be stable in the midst of instability. Let me see if I can make it plain. Y'all looking at me funny. Y'all know I'm a Marvel and DC geek, and there's a villain on, 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 there, on there. There's an interesting villain. His name is The Blob. And The Blob 
is a big dude that when he, when he centers himself, he's able to change the gravity around him in such a way that when someone tries to move him, even if it is the most powerful, the Hulk can't even move him. In, in, in other words, in order for him to be moved, you got to move what he's standing on. But he's so powerful, you punch him and he just sits there and he just laughs at you because he's changed the environment because of him planting his feet down and being steadfast and immovable. The believer through Christ has the ability to plant your feet. After you've done everything to stand firm, you stand there and God has given you the ability for the environment to change just by virtue of you standing. <laughs> a person with a resurrected life doesn't give up. A person that has a resurrected life is deeply committed to no matter come hell or high water, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going I'm to talk for him. I'm not going to let myself be muted. I'm going to stand here and walk with him no matter what. <laughs> After he said all of this, what in the world are you waiting for, believer? There's no such thing as a defeated Christian. There's no such thing. You were given power from on high, that everything can be being destroyed around you. And you have stability in the midst of all of that. So the resurrected life is going through constant crucifixions where you're crucifying yourself and hopeful for multiple resurrections, which is only trailers of the coming attraction, of the consummation of everything, where God will make everything new, even us. Father, we thank you, and we honor you for your word. We thank you for the strength that Christ brings through the power of the Spirit. We honor you and thank you for all of your mercy and giving us the ability to experience resurrected life. And now that we know Christ the Savior, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are able now, not later, to see resurrections happen. And so, God, I'm praying that you will help us to live in light of the assurance of the resurrected life that you've given us. Because we have a sure hope in Christ. If we know Christ the Savior, we have a sure hope.